Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the topics you're talking about in football. We brought you the exclusive news that Harry Kane wanted to leave Tottenham, but we also have news today about another striker who wants to leave and potentially has a, a move to an English Premier League club uh, from La Liga at Duncan. Uh, what can you tell us about Joao Felix? Yeah, this is, um, as you say, it's a, a striker, another striker added to this um, immense merry-go-round that we think will kick into action once one of them moves somewhere, once someone puts some money into the market to allow uh, other uh, strikers to move along. And, and I, I suspect that uh, the club to put the money into the market will be um, Manchester City or Paris Saint-Germain, who the two that do not really have um, financial worries in, in the same way as most other clubs in Europe do. Um, Jean-Felix, uh, a story... We broke on the transfer podcast some years ago now that he would be leaving Benfica two summers ago and that the he would go for the release clause of 120 million euros, something that uh, people scoffed at at the time, the idea that a player would move out of Portugal for that amount of money and especially one who was in his first um, season as a regular first team starter for Benfica. Um, he was targeted by Manchester City that summer. Uh, Manchester City would like to have brought him in. Uh, tell you a story about Chiki Bergiristan going to watch him at uh, at Benfica's stadium um, and and saying this is a player who will play for Manchester City at some point. Um, they weren't able to do it at that time. Uh, they were expecting uh, Leroy Zani to leave. Um, and uh, were struggling to get him to renew his contract, knew he was unhappy, knew Bayern were interested, thought that there was a good chance Bayern would put down very large transfer fee for Zani, and then they wanted a replacement forward in and had identified Felix as being the man to replace him. Obviously, Zani got injured, uh, and that delayed his move to Bayern for a year, which prevented Manchester City from buying him that summer because they were still under um, the auspices of financial fair play and couldn't manufacture a way of, of spending that amount on one player in that summer. They asked Felix to wait. Um, Felix took the decision himself that he wanted to leave Benfica immediately and wanted to go to Atletico. They were the only club who were able to provide the money at the time. He went there. And um, as some people predicted, and I, I believe Chiki Bergeristan was one of those, it was the wrong move for him to take because he hasn't meshed well with Diego Simeone's way of organising a football team. Um, according to some people close to Felix, not meshed well with Diego Simeone's personality, uh, certainly with his training methods. Um, Felix has been suffering from a uh, persistent ankle injury for, for um several months now and uh, Simeone has been pushing him to play and train hard despite having that ankle injury and that's caused uh, a degree of um, additional dispute between the pair and the information I have is that he will um, attempt to get out of Atletico this summer 
that the relationship has got to a stage where he feels he has to go elsewhere and the expectation is that that is a deal that can be done because Atletico, like everyone else, want to raise money in the market. Um, he has been offered to Barcelona by Atletico in exchange for Antoine Griezmann, their uh, former player, and the player who Barcelona are open to um, moving out this summer again for financial reasons. But I, I think his availability is such that it interests a lot of clubs uh, around Europe and interests a lot of clubs who are trying to get involved in that striker merry-go-round. And, and here is a different option. Here is a, a 21-year-old. Um, if you look at his statistical performance this season, first half of the season when he was, was fit, even though he wasn't always getting into the team because of um, tactical differences with Simeone, he had 14 La Liga starts, seven goals and six assists. So his numbers are are very good, as they have been um, for the for his still quite short career as a as a senior footballer. Um, he presents, I think, an interesting option for Manchester City, should they decide not to go for Erling Haaland, and should they stay, uh, as you told us in the first podcast of the week with in the position that Harry Kane at the price that Tottenham are asking for him and at the age he is at is not the best uh, medium term solution to their issues and uh, and they should go for a different forward instead with Felix you get a different type of player to Haaland but kind of the same profile in a sense in terms of age in terms of ability to affect the play um, I think a more natural fit to Manchester City and that he is a player who combines well with um, his teammates uh, and creates as well as finishing. Um, also, I think because he's a player who kind of thrives either playing off a central striker or playing in the, the space between the midfield and the front line, you can see that that is a very natural fit to the way Pep Guardiola often has his team operating and particularly the way he's had the team operating this season. So expect to see Felix move this summer um, and expect to see a number of clubs jockeying um, to see what the, the cost of that transfer will be, what Atletico are prepared to sell him for and, and whether he's a better option than some of the, the more storied names that are on the market at present. Having watched him, Duncan, this season, um, albeit in limited appearances, he does seem to me to be someone who could blend very easily uh, into a team which combines uh, Bernardo Silva, uh, Kevin De Bruyne and Ryan Sterling with regards to creating opportunities, scoring goals as well. Um, we know that Sergio Aguero obviously is leaving in this uh, window at the end of his contract. Uh, do we have any idea what the price may be? Because he did move for a very large fee uh, when he joined Atletico. Well, the release clause was 120 million. Atletico ended up um, agreeing a deal for 126 million because they were only going to pay a limited per percentage of that fee in the first year. So they had to subsidise kind of interest payments um, to Benfica for the, the, the longer um, period it took to, to meet the release clause. I think it's fluid um, and, and I think this market is fluid. I think you, 
obviously we saw Mino Raiola pushing Erling Haaland uh, and putting down very, very expensive sums of money as an asking price for agent's fee, um, 30 million euro salary net um, for the for the player. And then uh, talking about 150 million transfer fee when Dortmund are, are suggesting that would be 180 million. Um, that was in a time when Raiola and when a number of the major clubs in Europe were expecting the Super League to happen and they were expecting to have a massive injection of cash um, coming via JP Morgan into their bank accounts to sort out their debts and to to fight for top players on the market. Um, I think now it just, as I say, it depends on who puts money in first, where it goes and how it gets circulated around. I think the only other club that has a reasonable amount to play with is Manchester United because they're um because of fundamentally the amount of revenue they make as a club uh, and uh, and the reserves they could create if they uh, if they moved their finances around a little bit to do deals this summer but as we said in the last podcast that I think is dependent as it always is with Manchester United on Glazer's approval on spending and whether the Glazers approve a lot of spending in this market or a medium amount of spending in this market, I think is down to public relations. It's down to the, the Glazers out movement, down to the protests against them for trying to join the Super League, basically for the way they've run the club through their ownership and what they feel they need to do to appease supporters. Um, if they feel it has to be a lot of money, then we're talking potentially about Harry Kane going there, and as you um, explained on Tuesday, and, and I think you have more detail on where Manchester United are on that um, negotiation and strategy to get hold of, of Kane at present. Indeed. Um, the Not a Penny More uh, campaign by Manchester United fans, um, I'd love to think that one penny would be enough to buy Joao Felix. Uh, or even Harry Kane in that sense. But uh, yes, the Harry Kane transfer saga rumbles on. Uh, I think it's significant that there appears to be an orchestrated and clever um, way of uh, dealing with this, which comes from Kane and his representatives. They obviously leaked uh, the information uh, that Kane had asked formally to leave the club, although has not yet requested a transfer in a formal sense. It is our information that Manchester United have made it clear to Harry Kane that should he need to push the transfer, i.e. ask for uh, a transfer in an official sense, which of course would disbar his entitlement to a payoff on his current contract, which is around six million net per year, currently uh, until twenty twenty four, meaning that he would lose out on eighteen million pounds of salary if he asked for a transfer. That those are the ways in which football works. That Manchester United are prepared to compensate him for that loss of earnings in a signing on fee which could be paid over the uh, length of his contract uh, and obviously he would expect and will be offered uh, around 
uh, twice his current deal at Tottenham Hotspur. So not only would he be earning more, but he would also get some kind of compensation fee for the wages that he gives up should he need to force his way out of Tottenham Hotspur. And that could be a very powerful um, way of doing things for Kane because uh, he has risked a lot, Duncan, at making it public with regards to his desire to leave Spurs. The Spurs fans, I think it was quite interesting on uh, Wednesday night of this week at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium that the fans did not vent any anger on Kane. I think they obviously feel that he's given them great service and also that if he wants to leave, then he should be allowed to leave to further his own ambition. And therefore, uh, asking for a transfer would not in any way demean his legacy uh, for Spurs. Uh, Also the case that uh, financially he'd be compensated for uh, requesting that transfer. A lot of players are not prepared to do that. But Kane's very, very uh, stubborn, if you like, belief that this is the time for him to make a change uh, would mean that he would forego that that particular amount of money in order to make his uh, move somewhere else. And also uh, that he would obviously be earning more anyway. But it was interesting in the interview he did with Gary Neville um, that he explained in some detail about what he felt that he needed to win trophies, that he didn't want to end his career with regrets, and also uh, that he felt that this was the right time. And I think at his age, as we explained in an earlier podcast, uh, he feels that this is his chance to join a club which he feels shares his ambitions and will, in his mind anyway, um, help him to produce the medals that he lacks thus far in his career for someone who has so much talent and has the statistics to back that up as well. Um, yeah, I think I think there are a lot of very clear statements in, in that interview. Um Talking about wanting to to break Alan Shearer's Premier League scoring record of 260 goals and uh, you're probably looking at another four to five seasons um, of of football in England to be able to do that, saying that he wasn't particularly keen on, on playing outside England at this stage, um, mentioning a, a transfer fee for him. If I could get 100 million, then why not? That was that was strange, wasn't it? He's always, he's put a price on his own head. I I don't think that's strange at all. I think that's uh, that's it's part of the the negotiation and part of the part of the orchestration. Yes, exactly. Um, and and mentioning also that there had been conversations with Daniel Levy before, and his expectation of how Daniel Levy would try and persuade him to stay. Um, and also talking about how he felt Tottenham had had great opportunities to win titles um, when they they failed um, to take the league off Leicester City uh, and when they had the season um, which took them to the, the Champions League and, and, and kind of 
not quite directly saying, but certainly allowing you to read between the lines that um, that Levy hadn't invested in the team at that stage when they had the opportunities to go further. And also talking about, on, on a number of occasions, about his disappointment and surprise that, uh, that Jose Mourinho had been dismissed just before the League Cup final. Um, you're talking about how Jose Mourinho has a, a, a great record of winning Cup finals and, and, uh, and saying it was strange to him and surprised him that, uh, that Levy had decided to sack him just a few days beforehand. So there, there was a lot of um, really pointed messaging in that obviously pre-prepared interview. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think it's clear that the decision has been taken, as you reported a couple of weeks ago by Kane, that this is the summer to leave. And now he is he's pushing hard to make sure that happens. Obviously, the problem he has, Duncan, is two words, Daniel Levy, or Daniel Leverage, as we obviously we like to call him, on the Transfer Window podcast. Um, he will drive a very hard bargain. Kane is under contract. However, as we both know, keeping an unhappy player at a club where he doesn't want to be never turns out well. And therefore, my expectation is that with Kane uh, already involved in this manoeuvring to extract himself from Tottenham Hotspur will go to the limit in order to get the move that he wants. With that being the case, um, Spurs obviously have to think ahead. I mean, they've now got a situation where they don't have a manager. They're about to lose, potentially, their best player. It, it does seem a bit of a shambles with regards to where they, where they are right now. Um, and it's difficult to see how they uh, rebuild the faith confidence and trust of their supporters uh, for next season. Yes, look, they had the opportunity to win a trophy and, uh, and Levy was prepared to say the Premier League position is more important to us um, than resting players ahead of the League Cup final and, and sacking a manager and putting a you know, 29-year-old with no experience of, uh, of running a, of a first team in charge of a match against the, the best team in the country. Um, I don't think that's gone down well with a number of people at Tottenham and particularly people who want to win trophies and, and we know Harry Kane is one of those. I think there will be a calculation here from Levy is if I can't get a huge transfer fee and, and he's, you know, he's indicating he will only do it for a, a massive fee, um, 150 million plus. Um, I think there will be a calculation of will Kane actually throw his toys out of the pram if I make him stay here? Is he that kind of character who is going to have a bad season um, if I don't get the deal I want in the transfer market and if I say stay another year? I, I'm not sure with Kane it's so clear cut that um, it doesn't strike me as the kind of individual who, who will just desist from training properly and desist from performing on the field. Because partly because he is so focused on these kind of personal targets that when he's talking about be beating Alan Shearer's 260 goals and beating Wayne Rooney's England goal scoring record, that reminds me of Cristiano Ronaldo. 
that th- those are the kind of targets, albeit Ronaldo's doing it on a, on a far greater scale than best scorer in the Premier League and best scorer for the England national team. But part of the reason why Ronaldo's been so successful is he, he, has, he has designed his career around putting up the best numbers to be re- regarded not just as the best footballer in history, but the best sportsman in history. And that mentality has served him well. And I think it will has served Harry Kane well and will continue to serve Harry Kane well. So I think that will be a, a factor there. Um, yeah, he, he has a big decision to make, Daniel Levy. I, I, that You have to have sympathy for him in the sense that he led and invested an immense uh, amount of money being spent on naming rights lane, which they still haven't got naming rights for. Um, over 1.2 billion spent in building that stadium. The plan being, once you get into it, you massively increase Tottenham's revenues from match day and you move the club onto a, a different scale of operation altogether. You, you turn what had been um, one of the lowest wage bills at the top end of the Premier League, certainly by a margin, the lowest wage bill of the, of the big six, you add immensely to the revenue you're, you can then spend on reinforcing the team and you turn yourself into real competitors. That was the plan. That was the plan sold to Jose Mourinho. That's why Mourinho took the job. One of the central reasons why he took the job. And it all got ripped out from under him by COVID. Now he hasn't handled that well, um, but a lot of it is completely unexpected and, com- and no one could have factored in. Now he has to come up with the right solution to it. And I'm not sure that the message he, he wrote to the, the Tottenham supporters ahead of, of, of the match in the week where he started citing Tottenham's DNA it is the right way to go about it. Um, whenever I hear football club executives talking about club DNA, um, it suggests to me that they're, uh, they're, they're trying to sell a story and they don't really have a coherent plan. Um, and they're trying to you know tick boxes with the supporters rather than do what needs to be done to make the team successful on the field again. One of our socios, uh, as we would say in Spain, or listeners, as you would say in England, uh, pointed that one out on our Twitter feed that when you hear a chairman talk about club DNA, the first thing you do is just basically block your ears because uh, <laughs> it's clearly BS, uh, as we say. Um, also, I would have to point out at this moment that Duncan Castles has once again surprised me by uh, completing a sentence that I've not heard in 25 years in football, which is, you have to have sympathy for Daniel Levy. Uh, <laughs> that's not something that many people definitely have. Um, however, uh, this is a situation which will develop. Um, my personal feeling, Duncan, is that uh, People I've spoken to who are close to Harry Kane say that his determination to move this situation where he gets what he wants is definite and will not end with him being forced to stay for the length of his contract and that Levy will have to accept a sale price from the, the bidder who Harry Kane himself uh, wants to join. So it will be intriguing to see how that works out, although 
as we reported on Transfer Window Podcast, Manchester United are the only very serious players in this particular game of cane poker. Slightly easier and certainly uh, less difficult to decide is another legendary striker of the Premier League era in Sergio Aguero. His contract expires and has already announced that he will leave at the end of the season. It is our information here at the transfer window that a deal to Barcelona has been agreed in principle in terms of a contract. He will have to take a pay cut. He currently earns £230,000 after tax at City, but is willing to accept around £150,000 in order to play at Camp Now. Now, Duncan, this is interesting because you mentioned before um, about Antoine Griezmann possibly leaving. We know that Barcelona are in a difficult financial situation. We also know that Aguero has a very close friendship with Leo Messi, but of course lost his other bestie uh, in Luis Suarez to Atletico um, last summer. It kind of looks like a good fit all round. Would you put your money on Aguero being a Barcelona player next summer, next season? It's it's something they've had in place for a long time now. That the the outline discussions have, have been there for for a, a while, um, but not their first choice. Um, I'm, I'm told that the 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 further discussions on the contract being accelerated over the last two weeks and uh and it, and it's pretty much there um to be signed off on uh same scenario as uh Gini Wan Aldum um when Aldum a player that that Kuman had asked for um pre-contract in place and uh, and just ready to be signed off on so he comes to the club but Kuman's position is now under doubt Duncan and and probably that has been magnified by the fact that they failed to sign Memphis Dubai um, under Cummins' uh, direction. And now uh, you have also the bid that we reported on the podcast of for Erling Haaland. Not I'm saying that Cummins has knocked that back, but it, it does seem to me that uh, Joan Laporta is taking more control over recruitment policy at Barcelona. Well, Laporta is an ultimate control of all this, and and he's raising the money um, to uh, get their debt situation in a shape where they can spend on players this summer. Once a headline signing, once once a, a name to build a new Barcelona around, and Erling Haaland is is the the primary target. Um, I'm not hearing that he's given up on Haaland uh, already, and and uh, and that Aguero will be uh, the replacement. For him, you know, the, the second prize because they they haven't been able to to get Ireland. Um, Kuman, as you say, his his position is in doubt. Barcelona have been looking for alternatives uh, as coach. Um, are still looking, and uh, and uh, and as I understand it, still to make a final decision on whether they allow Kuman to carry on into the next season. Um, I think I think basically they're operating on a on a lot of tiers at the moment. Um, to try and get a structure in place where they can be more competitive on the field, and 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 Laporta's dealing with a lot of moving parts because of that that debt issue he has to resolve. 
because the Super League fell through, um, that would have been a, a major um, solve to their financial issues and, and given them a certainty of revenue going forward that would, would have helped secure uh, short-term debt uh, to cover the hole in their accounts at, at present. Um, there's no doubt Aguero wants to go to Barcelona. That's his choice. Uh, and I think for the reasons you indicate relationship with, with Lionel Messi and the opportunity to finally play at one of the top two clubs in, in Spanish football. Um, so from, from the side of the player, does he want to go there above other offers? Is he prepared to go there for less money than other clubs are offering? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly the case that um, Barcelona um, are considering appointing the legendary uh, player Xavi um, as their next manager. It is our understanding that despite the fact he signed a new contract with Al Saad, where he currently coaches, that he has a get-out-stroke-break clause with that club and that he would be available in the summer to take over at Barcelona. So Laporta is a huge admirer, as well as being someone who's dealt with Xavi over the years as well in terms of him being a player and captain at Barca. I suppose, Duncan, if Xavi did take over, um, it would be probably a more uh, inviting place to come uh, for some players, given that he's got that younger mentality, uh, he has the Barcelona, and I'm, I'm almost scared to say it now, DNA. (laughs) Um, to go with his uh, already coaching experience. But um, it's definitely the case, given this season and the disappointments, that Barcelona need to look at themselves and decide what the future holds with regards to how they achieve success. Xavi would be the populist appointment. Um, That's the one that would go down well with the supporters. but. As we've talked about in this podcast for some time, Xavi wants to come in on his terms. He wants to control everything. He wants to change the sports director. He wants to take charge of the academy. He wants to be directing which players come in uh, as well as running the first team. So think, you know, regardless of what the relationship is with Laporta and regardless of the populism that's involved in bringing uh, Xavi back to the club, Think about how much power Laporta would be ceding if he gave that managerial role on the terms that Xavi is demanding um, just after he's got back in at, at president. It's, it's a big move. And, and also you're doing it for someone who there is absolutely no guarantee he will be a success as a coach. It's, it's a slightly better appointment than than the Andrea Pirlo one um, at uh, at Juventus it, because he has actually had the experience of coaching for a couple of seasons. But he's been coaching in Qatar with easily the best squad in Qatar. In his first season, he made a mess of it and, and lost the, the title and, and lost it comprehensively. Talked to people who coached against him there and they told me they, they weren't very impressed by the way he was uh, running the team. So... Maybe he's learned enough in, in those couple of seasons in Qatar to take on a Barcelona job, which is, you know, it, it's not Pep Guardiola coming in to take over the most talented squad 
probably football's ever seen. It's a it's a dysfunctional club um, with an imbalanced squad uh, with a lot of change required to it. And you know, it, it, if Xavi comes, he has to play one kind of football. And um, our Barcelona that that squad he has or the squad he can build with the the funds that are available to them set up to play that kind of football. It's to me, that is a risky appointment and a a risky road for them to, to go down. To be fair to Xavi, um, he's gone to Qatar, you know, a country probably used to go maybe once or twice on holiday too. He would know very little about the football there. And any coach going into. He played there for several seasons. He went there for a massive Payoff contract to f- to finish his career. He knew knew the league. I mean, man, I, me- I meant managing Duncan, not playing. yeah. But he he's not coming in coaching blind into the Qatar league. He knows the league. He knows the players. There, there there's a big demand for him to be coach. But if you look at what's happened with appointments of um, young younger managers who used to be star players for their clubs across European football over the last few seasons. I think you tread that path very carefully. Well, you're very correct in saying that Xavi would be the popular appointment, both in the dressing room and with uh, the socios of Barcelona Football Club. So it will be interesting um, to see if indeed Kuman is to leave, um, which is definitely a possibility. From one uh, fairly inexperienced coach to another who has been very experienced, Nuno Espirito Santo has announced that he will leave Wolverhampton Wanderers at the end of the season. A story that, of course, our tremendous guru of knowledge in transfers had flagged up on the Transfer Window podcast some weeks ago. Um, Duncan... uh, is Nuno leaving because he's got an offer somewhere else or is he leaving because he thinks he's done as much as he possibly can at Wolves? Look, as we explained when we uh, we broke that story on the podcast, he basically, he, he feels he's come to the end of the road at Wolves. He, he's done what he can. Um, he's ready for a change of scene. I think he's aware that uh, because of the f- the financial situation in football and because particularly of the financial situation in China where the, the Chinese government have um, told uh, investor companies to reduce their expenditure on football um, in particular, but in especially in European football clubs that Fosun are unable to, to finance a rebuild of the squad or, or additions to the squad as they would normally. And they are done. selling as well, Duncan, that's the thing, isn't they? They're selling the best players. Well, yes, they're again, story we we broke on the podcast they put the, their three effectively their three best um talents on the market in order to raise cash um to to regenerate the squad. That's that's the, the situation that they're in. So Nuno had made that decision. Um they were trying to find him a club to go to before uh before he, he he announced his departure. We should expect Bruno Lage, the former Benfica coach, to replace Nuno. Um, because as we as we reported um on the podcast, a, a provisional agreement had been put in place for him to be the successor should Nuno leave this summer, which he now has. One question. Nuno to Spurs. 
I'm sure he's been offered to Tottenham. Yeah, George George Mendes would not certainly be shy <laughs> in calling Daniel Leverage. Yeah, I think one year ago that would be a more viable appointment when uh, when Nuno's status was higher because Wolves had had back-to-back really good seasons. This season has been more of a struggle for them. And, and you know, there are obvious reasons why it's been more of a struggle, particularly the, the loss of Raul Jimenez, one of the best centre-forwards in the Premier League, um, from what was always a, quite a tight, narrow squad um, to start with. I don't think he would be a bad appointment for Tottenham at all. My question would be, is Daniel Levy prepared to put another Portuguese coach um, a coach who's associated with the same representation company as as Jose Mourinho in charge at this moment at a time where he is clearly um, looking to get back into the supporters' good books. I, I think the PR aspects of this appointment are very important, and in that DNA message to the uh, to the supporters that he uh, he published yesterday, um, there was a. There was a, a clear message about going back to Tottenham style, attacking uh, aggressive football. And, and while Nuno is very good at, at uh, creating teams who score goals and beat opponents, he's not um, a, a front foot manager. Um, he might be able to become a front foot manager with a, with a higher quality of squad, but... Um, he works on percentages, so the perception, I think, from Tottenham supporters would be, you know, Espirito Santo, no thanks, give us a, give us a more starry-eyed name than that. You say starry-eyed name, but I, just, I, ca- I can't really see outside of perhaps Max Allegri someone who can go to Tottenham and uh, placate the fans, uh, especially if they're going to be losing Harry Kane and produce the kind of football that they expect, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas a more under-the-radar appointment, I think, would be potentially much more productive for Spurs. Well, just just from a, a supporter reception perspective, and I'm not saying this is the right route for Tottenham to go down, if the supporters are presented with Nuno Espirito Santo as the next coach, or if the supporters are presented with Graham Potter, as an ex-coach, which one is more popular from a supporter perspective, given his image in English football at present? Well, yeah, that's a difficult one. I mean, I'd say Nuno has proven himself uh, since being promoted to be more successful. And Graham Potter is someone still whose star is rising, but you know has yet to get to the stages where you know. Brighton are anywhere near top 10 um, and obviously Spurs ambitions are top 6 top 4, or top 4 certainly, so um, if there was to be a less starry eyed as you put it, appointment then I would say Nuno would be favourite over Potter I agree that I think Nuno Espirito Santo would be a better appointment but from the perspective of who's perceived to play attacking football and to be to be a modern, um, progressive coach. I think Potter, with the PR he's had this season, um, and obviously he has that benefit of being an English coach, so whatever he does gets magnified in, in its quality by um, a press who are desperate to, to see another successful English coach. They're, you know, they're just about to lose 
the most successful one they've had for um, decades, Roy Hodgson. Um, he's, he, he said he's leaving Premier League football, at least for the time being. So, so I, I think that if you were to do a Vox Pop of Tottenham supporters, they'd prefer Potter to, to Espirito Santo. And I think that would be more important to Levy at the moment than, than uh, actual qualities as a coach. It's, it's, is he good enough to, to do a job for me and will the supporters be happy with it? I think that's what he's thinking at present. It's a very um, difficult balance to maintain um, the things that you've said, i.e. as as a coach and uh, the supporters being happy with the appointment. Um, with Tottenham, I think they're used to having uh, fairly uh, superstar uh, names, if you like, appointed, uh, and therefore, I think with Potter, they might be slightly disappointed, even if he is an exceptionally good coach, which he's proven himself to be so far. Uh, but working with obviously limited resources and also um, achieving results which equate to those resources as well. But uh, Potter certainly got potential uh, for sure. And uh, I think the the win over Manchester City uh, last uh, week was uh, certainly uh, proof of his ability to take a very difficult situation being 2-0 down in the first half and turn it into a victory of 3-2, one which Pep did not particularly like. And we'll come on to that on the Donkey Award in a moment. We will, however, briefly discuss the situation at Celtic Football Club, where uh, they are in a moment of transition. Uh, They have uh, an interim manager, uh, very, very uh, disturbing that their outgoing chief executive, Peter Lowell's house, and his uh, family were threatened in a violent disruption at the start of this week. We understand that their pursuit of Eddie Howe um, is becoming a source of great frustration for both the owner Dermot Desmond and the incoming chief executive Dominic Mackay as Lowell uh, goes into retirement as of the first of next month. And Duncan, it's not really surprising, is it, that they should look for a plan B, given that Howe has had. Um, more than three meetings with the Celtic hierarchy with regards to replacing Neil Lennon and has yet to commit. Uh, And as you and I have discussed, he could have signed a pre-contract or heads of agreement, which he's not done, um, and that Celtic's executives are becoming uh, very, very impatient now with regards to what his intentions are. We've reported on the podcast that he would prefer to stay in England than in the Premier League and is hopeful that the Crystal Palace job will be his. What does Celtic do now? I think, as you say, they have to look for a plan B. Um, if you decide you want to hire a coach, you, you interview him, he says he's interested in taking the job, you offer him the job. And then, what, it's probably two months now that, that they've been in this position of, of uh Stasis where they are signalling that I will be their next manager and, and briefing uh, Scottish media that they'll be the next manager. Um, but they don't have a formal 
um, signature on a contract from how and um, in our information, how's representatives are are pushing him for other jobs. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all that, that um, Eddie Howe thinks he has an outside opportunity of the Tottenham Hotspur job, um, given that a couple of years ago when he was in the ascendancy of young English coach, when he was in the, the Graham Potter position, um, he was being talked about as potential Arsenal manager and 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 would certainly have been high on a list of of candidates um, for Tottenham had the the job opened up at that stage. Um, he clearly would prefer to stay in England and and stay in the in the south of England, um, and feels that he can keep Celtic waiting um, until he's explored the other options and and that and has that job to fall back on. That that's quite a slap in the face to to Celtic Football Club because if they see um, a manager who has significant achievements in English football but nowhere near coaching at the top of the English game, all of his work at one club, um, quite a, a ignominious final season where um, they they were they were relegated and where there was there was a some significant problems within the squad um, during that period, um, preferring to go to a club like Crystal Palace than to one of the two top clubs in Scotland and a, and a, and a club that has the opportunity to play Champions League football next season. Um, it's not what you expect. The, you, you know that you have less financial resource than Crystal Palace, but uh, what Celtic can offer a manager is a platform uh, to prove themselves a winner. And and it is a real challenge at present. Stephen Gerrard and Rangers have built a team who play a, uh, a very well-drilled and effective uh, form of football that comprehensively took the title off Celtic. Celtic supporters are unhappy and want to, to see uh, Rangers knocked back off the perch next season. Um, but it's a great opportunity the Celtic job. And if, if you do that, if you succeed there, you can see a very recent example of of a of a, a manager who is a leading candidate for the Tottenham job, um, who doesn't particularly seem to want to take the Tottenham job because he thinks he has a better situation at, at Leicester City at present. Um, so regenerating his career by going to Scottish football, winning there, coming back into one of the prime jobs in the in the Premier League and now being talked about as a future, it's not Tottenham Hotspur is, is the best job opportunity open to him. He's, he's being talked about as a future Manchester City manager. He would like to be talked about as a future Manchester United manager. Maybe if um, Solskjaer has another um, questionable season, uh, that job might open up next uh, campaign. So I think Eddie Howe turns this one down or, or keeps Celtic waiting at his, at his peril. Well, as a Celtic fan, I'd like to offer my congratulations to Stephen Jarrett on winning his first league title. And um, I'm pleased for him as someone who I've known for more than 20 years. Uh, notice I've not mentioned the club he manages. Duncan, you mentioned Stephen Gerrard there at Rangers. Uh, also his um, partner in the England midfield, Frank Lampard. Uh, is out of work, as we know. Um, uh, we understand that he would 
not be uh, uh, in terms of the interest of West Bromwich Albion um, averse to talking to West Brom's executives because he feels that that perhaps his time at Derby County it was only a year, but they were defeated in the playoff final uh, by Aston Villa. He stepped backwards to go to uh, the Midlands club and perhaps win promotion. He had would have the uh, benefit of the parachute payment and a good squad already, but t- also money to invest in new players as well. Is it a good fit, Duncan? Well, you said partner in England midfield. I thought you were going to say partner in crime there, given given what happened in that England midfield. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which crime did they commit exactly? The golden generation that was supposed to sweep all of the world in, uh, in ahead of them and, and take the World Cup back to England. Well, that's our 2002 memories together. <laughs> Um, it's interesting that he's thinking that way. I can I can see the the calculation that um, dropping it back down into the championship um, to work with a good squad of players where you have a bit of financial resource to build something with the expectation that you can go a step further than you did at Derby County um, and uh, and get promotion to the Premier League and then keep them in the Premier League and uh, you know if if you can put together those two years of work then you're in that Brendan Rodgers scenario where the bigger clubs um, will look to employ you again and you've told us and uh, this is obviously coming direct from Frank himself he he feels that he rushed into the Chelsea job um, it wasn't the optimal time to take it. He had to take it because the opportunity was there. Derby was kind of a similar scenario. He, he's conscious enough to know that well, we've been talking about Xavi and we've talked about young coaches in, in this podcast. He's conscious enough to know that there are stages of his development to go through to become a top manager. He wants to be a top manager. He's a supremely competitive individual who loves being involved in football. Um, there is the element of is this time to take a sabbatical and wait for uh, the correct offer but I, I think the, the calculation that West Bromwich Albion is a, is a reasonable opportunity and one that's worth paying more attention to than uh, Crystal Palace for example is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is an intelligent one on his part. I think Frank is um, someone who's very um, considered uh, in his uh, Attitude to his coaching career, and I think it's admirable that um, he doesn't feel that 18 months at Chelsea means he automatically deserves another job in the Premier League, uh, and also that perhaps going back to the Championship, as he did with Derby when he started uh, his coaching career, uh, could be a valuable uh, experience and lesson in terms of uh, furthering his experience in education in coaching uh, and therefore as unlikely as some people might think it seems I don't think it is impossible that should um, the circumstances be right that he would accept that job uh, to replace uh, what um, was called the Red Adair i.e. Big Sam uh, although 
obviously we see him as Fireman Sam um, firing up his Granada uh, instead of the fire engine. It is that time of the week where we present the most prestigious award in football, which of course is the Donkey Award. And uh, this week we are going to say that Pep Guardiola is our uh, preferred um, nom- not just nomination, but also uh, the award named after him uh, for his performance in the end of the match against Brighton uh, last Tuesday night uh, when they lost 3-2 at the Amex Stadium and Guardiola protested vehemently against the way that Graham quotes Harry Potter uh, celebrated the first goal. Um, in fact, uh, our information is that he demanded respect from Potter at the end of the game, refused to give him the now obvious fist bump uh, instead of handshake, etc., etc. And indeed, uh, we were also told that the entire Manchester City bench behaved very badly throughout that game. Therefore, this to be, is to be fair. They're not used to um, opposition managers celebrating goals on on a broomstick. <laughs> Quidditch. <laughs> uh, it's also the case uh, <laughs> that <laughs> it seems Pep does not agree that opposition managers are allowed to celebrate goals for their own team, even if they are two 0 down. So uh, this is the uh, Donkey Award for Pep Guardiola's being a bad loser. Now, Duncan, in kind of contrast with other uh, Donkey Awards, I'm just going to give you three names in the nominations, uh, which I hope are in the golden envelope. Give me a second while I open it. It's uh, it's improving a bit. There we go. It's a bit easier than usual. Right, so I'm going to give you three names. You're going to tell me uh, who you think is the worst loser and also why. Uh, number one, Jurgen Klopp. Number two, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And number three, the man who could claim his own award, and that is Pep Guardiola. Uh, look, Jurgen Klopp, um, we don't really have to go into much detail about the uh, the list of performances he's come up with after after losing matches. Uh, there's a, a Scottish comedy series called Only an Excuse and I, and I think, <laughs> I think it, it's an apt summary of, of Jurgen Klopp when, when things go wrong for him on, on the football field. Um, Solskjaer has had some pretty special ones uh, this season. Um, remember the... Was that a reference to Jose? Uh, no, he's, no. He's had some pretty special ones. He... Uh, he uh, <laughs> remember the, 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 the raising of the idea that uh, Manchester United's home uh, form this season was down to the the red seats and the players not being able to distinguish their teammates from um, the the surrounding stand. Fergie-esque. Which seems to have been undermined somewhat by them uh, losing their last two home games um, with the, uh, the, the, the red seats hidden and uh, spectators back in the stadium. But um, he's had a, he has had a few others as well, including... Uh, Mentioning that uh, that those fan protests had uh, had had an impact, and that he didn't want to use that as an excuse, but um, then citing it as an excuse immediately afterwards. But I think both of those are superseded by Pep Guardiola. He doesn't lose very often, but when he loses, he loses badly. And um, 
I think, this week's rant at um, Graham Harry Potter um, matched up with his pretty much most of his bench um, after losing 3-2. Yes, they had a very bad um, red card decision go against them, but they just won the Premier League a few days beforehand. They'd had their big party, he'd been doing his karaoke, he'd had it shown around the nation, he'd um, people laughing and, and amused by Pep Guardiola and then he loses an irrelevant game uh, in the sense of irrelevant to Manchester City's final position in the league, relevant to them earning any money, whereas Brighton, it is significant. They can push them up the table and, and add to their um, resources for next season and he acts like that, so he wins his own award. Nothing worse than a lack of grace in defeat, as someone once said. Jockstein, it was, said that. Uh, this has been the news before it becomes news. If you want to uh, engage with us, please do on YouTube, social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Duncan's on Twitter at Duncan Castles. I'm on Twitter at GarboSJ. We will be back with you next week. Until then, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Yeah.